1 John 2, 7 through 11. We've been looking for about a month now at John's first letter, first epistle. And John's talking about salvation. He's talking about being a Christian. And he's talking about those things uh, in terms of knowing God. There's a lot of ways you could kind of sum up Christianity, salvation, concepts of how you relate to God. Uh, but John's using the language of knowing God, uh, knowing him relationally, knowing him personally. Salvation, especially in John's writings, is a matter of personal, spiritual relationship with God. He says that uh, this is eternal life. He quotes Jesus as saying, eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. So he's writing uh, this epistle, again, to um, summarize briefly anyway, he's, he's helping to bring clarity to our claims about knowing God, right? If you do know God, he wants to give you the assurance of that relationship that you really do, you know, you can know that you know God. Uh, if you don't know God, then you need to see what it really means to actually know him, right? So that's why he's writing. And John gives a few tests uh, through the letter. He gives a few tests or indicators by which you can know that you know him, um, or alternatively, that will prove that you actually don't know him. Uh, so in our passage, he's expressing this, this relationship with God, knowing God. He's expressing it in terms of light and darkness. He uses that contrast a few times. Um, he, it's, it's actually pretty common through the Gospel of John and also this letter uh, to talk in terms of light and darkness. Someone who knows God is abiding in the light. That's the kind of language he uses. Someone who doesn't know God is in the dark. And he's already talked about this a little bit uh, back in chapter 1, verse 5. We looked at what it means that God is light. And in him there is no darkness, there is no shadow. Um, and so uh, he has to write about this. It's necessary for him to write about this because people who are in the dark often assume that they're in the light. People who are actually in the dark think and claim that they're in the light, that they actually know God, that people who don't know God often think they do know him. And people who actually do know God are often plagued by doubt about that. They're not sure if they know him. People who actually do know God are often uh, plagued by doubt about that relationship. So it's common to claim to know God and not really know him. And it's common to really know God and not be sure that you do. Right? And so John is writing to tell us what it's really like to know God. And he's using this language about abiding in the light. What it's really like to abide and to dwell in the light uh, is what he's talking about. And, and it and to tell us what are the visible, verifiable effects, the indicators, the tests of, uh, you know, the effects of the light in our lives. If you're in the light, this will be true of you, right? So that's what he's talking about this morning. So we're going to uh, talk in terms of light. Uh, the three points that we've got to go through this morning is, uh, first, how true light radiates. Second, how true light illuminates. And third, how true light reflects. So how true light uh, radiates, illuminates, and reflects. Those are the points we'll look at this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll read from the letter. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word, as the psalmist prayed. We pray that you would not just give us clarity of mind, but that you would draw our hearts to you 
so that it would be true of each one of us that we do abide in the light. And if we've been abiding in the darkness, would you uh, draw us away from that? Would you take us out of the kingdom of darkness and transplant us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, the kingdom of light? We pray that you would use your word by your spirit to do what only you can do. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, how true light radiates. It says in verse 8 that the true light is already shining. The true light is already shining. Uh, shining is another kind of word for radiating that, uh, that we're going to talk about here, but it's a reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, the true light is Jesus Christ. It said, again, uh, back in chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light, and Jesus is God. He's God the Son. He's fully God. He's the second person of the Trinity. That doesn't make him less God than the first or the third persons of the Trinity, the Father or the Spirit. Um, he is fully God. And um, we can't back up and cover all the reasons why that's a true statement, why we believe that from the Scriptures. Uh, but if you're confused about that, about the fact that Jesus is fully God, that he is the true God, um, then uh, if you're con confused about that or you're unconvinced about that, then come and talk to me. Uh, be, I would love to talk to you about that. But um, here are a few quotes from John's Gospel where Jesus um, takes to himself this, uh, this title of being the true light. Uh, in the prologue, John writes that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he's obviously talking about Jesus in the prologue there in John 1, verse 9. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then John 12, 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So, uh, verse 8 of our passage this morning, the true light, which is already shining, is Jesus Christ. It's, it's him. It's the God-man. <clears throat> and um, just a side note, really, uh, it, um, the word true, when it says the true light, it means more like real light, actual light, genuine light, um, that kind of truth. Uh, this is reality. Right? He is the real light, which is already shining. So, <clears throat> so why is John using the language of light? Why call Jesus the true light? I mean, Jesus talks about himself that way, but why is John using this kind of spiritual language here? Um, what does light do? It shines. Right? It radiates. It moves out from a point. It goes out. It spreads outward. It goes from point A to point B, right? Um, and I think John's using the language of light to call attention to a feature of divine love. He's actually talking about uh, the love of God or God's kind of love or uh, true love, right? 
And that is the commandment that he's writing about. He's writing about in the first couple of verses of our passage, the commandment, which is uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't spell that out explicitly and quote from Leviticus 19. He doesn't quote Jesus uh, on that from like Matthew, uh, Matthew 22 or his own gospel or whatever. But the, um, the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, it's clear from the way that he's talking about hating or loving your brother, that that's the commandment that he's talking about. Um, when he says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So he's, it's like he's saying, I'm not telling you uh, anything that you haven't heard before. I'm not telling you anything that you haven't read in the, uh, in the scriptures from the very beginning of the scriptures, the Old Testament. Um, he says actually later in, in his epistle, John, uh, 1 John 3, 11, he says that this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Right, that's the commandment, uh, and he's the first place where that commandment surfaces in the Old Testament scriptures is Leviticus 19, uh, where God says that you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, that is your brother, right? Um, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He's talking about brotherhood in terms of like Israel, the people of God, right? Um, you shall love each other as you love yourself. So particularly, he's saying that with regard to like forgiveness. You, know, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. It's, it's love to those who cause you pain or love to those who are uncomfortable to love, love to those who are just not easy to love, right? Even though they're your brothers, you, know, you can know from family experience maybe that that's sometimes the hardest type of person to love. But uh, John's writing about a commandment, right? He's writing about a law. This is a commandment, a rule. This is what you're supposed to do. Uh, and we'll come back to that aspect of what he's talking about later, the, the you're supposed to do this part. Um, but he's saying that this is a commandment that the people of God have had for ages. It's nothing new. Uh, this isn't some, you know, he's not talking to the church that, you know, maybe he, this is a, a letter to some churches that he has planted. Uh, he's not saying this is some kind of bait and switch. I'm not springing any new requirements on you. You've known this from the beginning of the church, like the, the, this is what we're about, right? Um, so when I talk about love, it's nothing new. But he's also saying at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true or, again, uh, realized. Right? It's true or realized in him, in Christ, and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So the command to love one another has been around for ages, but it's new in maybe several ways. It's new in that Jesus has, as a human, kept this commandment in a way that was like uh, switching, um, switching from black and white to technicolor. Right? Uh, maybe none of us were around when that changed took place uh, in terms of television sets or whatnot, but the, um, <clears throat> it's new, it's a new commandment in the fact that when Jesus kept it, it was like switching from black and white to technicolor. You, you might remember the original uh, Wizard of Oz movie, right? I think it was made in 1939. Um, it's one of the first color films. You've got the opening sequence in Kansas leading up to the tornado, and that's all in black and white, and everything just looks dreary and miserable. And then uh, the tornado whisks Dorothy away to the magical land of Oz, and the film transitions to this vivid color, and everything's uh, bursting and living uh, with color. 
And when the Son of God came into the world as a human being, and, and he taught about this commandment to love one another, and especially when he kept this commandment perfectly to love one another, uh, then it was like the world came alive and burst with new color and light. Right? It was new. It was made new in the person of Jesus Christ. And he talks about it. Uh, Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So he's talking about the way that he fulfills this commandment. Just as I have loved you, that's what makes this new. It makes it vivid and fresh and exciting and, and full of life and vibrancy, right? So his commandment, it's an old one, but it's made new in him, is to love, we're to love one another as he loved us, as Jesus loved us. Now, <clears throat> for this first point, uh, how true light radiates, how true light radiates, um, I want to point out that Jesus' love, his divine love, his true love, his loving us as he loves himself, it radiates and shines just like light radiates and shines. Right? Uh, it, it moves outward. That is to say, true love moves outward. It goes, it spreads, it extends. Uh, it's other-oriented, right? It's not self-absorbed. It's other-oriented because uh, true love, divine love, as it's seen in Jesus' life and in his, uh, in his life and his perfectly completing uh, that commandment in, his, uh, in the full resolution of the color and light of his life, that true love is a gift of self. It's a, it's a free gift of self to others, even though they don't deserve it. Whether or not they deserve it, it moves out. Right? His love, he gives himself and it moves out. That's kind of like radiating, like light uh, shines. So he gave himself in love to the world, and the world was full of his enemies who didn't deserve his love, right? Uh, but his love radiated out and went out from God into this world through the, through the cross itself. Right? That's like the greatest point where we see his love in full color and light and resolution is um, <clears throat> at the cross as, his, uh, as he gave his life up for his brothers, right? Um, and as this light went out, as his love went out, it pushed back the darkness. It dispelled the darkness wherever it went. Um, his selfless love was pure and bright and outward-facing. And, uh, and it came into a world that was dark with the covering of self-love, self-absorption. Uh, so his love is like light in that it radiates and shines and it takes energy from its source and casts it out to others, right? Uh, he, he takes himself and gives himself to others in his love. So that's how true light radiates. <clears throat> true light shines. And uh, so how true light illuminates, it's because the true light entered a dark world, a world that was covered with darkness, the darkness of self-love, it's because of that that it makes things visible, right? His love entering into the darkness of this world makes things visible. It shows them up for what they are, right? His love comes into the world and shows up our self-love for what it really is. Even uh, our imitation love, which is really self-love. Um, his love comes and throws that into stark relief and contrast. And so his complete selflessness, 
his complete self-giving to others, highlights, by contrast, our self-absorption and our self-advancement and our self-protectiveness, our self-love. Right? Uh, our hearts are not like bright stars or suns that uh, radiate and shine and give light and warmth of love. Our hearts are not like stars. They're like black holes. Right? If you know anything about astronomy, this is... Um, it's like a collapsed star, probably. It was meant to be something that gives light, but uh, instead it, now it drains energy from all of its surroundings, and it absorbs everything. It doesn't let any light ex escape, right? And that's more like what we're like, uh, living in the darkness. Apart from Christ's love, um, we don't shine. We are self-absorbed, right? We love ourselves. And when that self-love, that kind of darkness, which is what... Uh, John's talking about here, when that kind of darkness thoroughly characterizes us, we don't really love one another, we hate one another. Right? Um, that's what it really is. When we love ourselves so completely and thoroughly, what do we think of other people? It amounts to hatred. And sometimes it actually is real hatred, felt hatred. Um, verses 9 and 11, he says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So when we are in the darkness of self-love, hatred of others, uh, we, we hate our brother, we're reflexively suspicious of each other's motives. Think about that. I mean, this, we're talking about inside the church. We are reflexively suspicious of each other's motives, we treat one another as threats to be assessed immediately and dealt with in the most efficient way possible. Um, we harbor grudges against each other for a long time. We let bitterness take root and grow and spread and infect. Uh, we automatically judge one another as either not meriting much of our attention or uh, as deserving our disdain or deserving our resentment. And often the end result is just isolation. Fights usually end up in isolation, <clears throat> right? That's kind of the end result of our hatred for each other. And we think we're in the light. We can do this and think we're in the light. We think that our suspicion, our questioning of motives, our disdain or our resentment, uh, we think that those reveal superior spirituality. But it's hatred. And such hatred, in light of the divine love that has shined into the world, that we have seen clearly in Jesus Christ, such self-love is exposed to be the way of those who are just stumbling blindly in the dark. And it's, it's ultimately just the way of self-love. Right? Um, Jesus said in John 11, Aren't there 12 hours in the day? He's talking about the daylight. If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And then in John 12, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. So that's true of us if we're in the darkness of our self-love. We don't know what we're doing. We think we're in the light, but we're not. We can't even see how our own actions are those of the darkness. Uh, but the true light is already shining. 
That's the good news. The true light is already shining, and the darkness is passing away. Because Jesus has come, shining the light of his love into the world, uh, we can see the right path that's in front of us. And Psalm 119, there's a familiar uh, verse maybe to some of you that, that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? So Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the light of the world, and his presence makes it possible for us to see and to walk without stumbling. Right. Uh, and N.T. Wright says that uh, God's coming day, the life of his new age, has come rushing forward to meet us in the present time in the person of Jesus himself. So the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of love, has come in the person of the king, and everything has been illuminated by his love. True enlightenment has come. There's the world's version of enlightenment, which is uh, characterized by individualism, uh, self-centeredness. But true enlightenment has come. Divine love has radiated out into the dark world of self-love, and it means that we should see everything in light of that love, in light of the good news of God's love to us in Christ. Right? So Tim Keller um, when he talks about this passage, he says that to walk in the light is to look at the whole world through the gospel. To look at the whole world through the gospel, handling everything in life with the gospel. Everything in light of the gospel. So um, that's what God's true light does, is it enables us to see a whole new world in light of God's grace, in light of God's love. And so we'll look at how we do that in particular with regard to loving each other, which is the point of this passage. And that's the third point, is how true light reflects. It reflects uh, from us. Um, it says in verse 10, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him, and really this might be better translated in it, talking about the light, um, there's no cause for stumbling. There's no stumbling block. There's no trap. There's no snare. There's no offense. There's nothing you're going to trip over when everything's fully illuminated, right? In the light, you can see everything in front of you, and you, you're not going to fall down. If you're abiding in the light, that's going to be true of you, and, and love for your brother will be true of you. So abiding and remaining and dwelling in the light, that word is like the one who dwells in a house, right? Abiding in the light is the language John's using for having a true relationship with God. Uh, God is the light. Jesus is the light. And abiding in the light means staying in close personal communion with him, thinking about his love to you in particular, how it radiates and how it illuminates everything around you. Uh, and the one who does that, the one who abides in the light, is the one who loves his brother. Because that is the test or the indicator of the fact that you're actually in the light of God, in his presence. So the one who absorbs the radiation of Christ's love, who trusts and knows that Jesus loves him, who is made able to see things by the illumination of Christ's love, who can apply the gospel to his life and to his relationships and to his circumstances, the one who can do that will come to ref reflect Christ's love to fellow Christians, in particular is what uh, this passage is about, um, to reflect Christ's love, to reflect the light of Christ. So the one who abides in the light will fulfill the command to love one another just as Jesus loved us. The one who looks at his brother with hate, with bitterness or disdain or re resentment, um, 
The one who hates his brother, he's forgotten the gospel of love. He's forgotten about the light. He's not in the light. He's forgotten the gospel of love, of God's love to us in Christ. He's forgotten that he, of all people, uh, a sinner, has been called beloved. Even though he didn't deserve it because he's a sinner, uh, he's been called beloved. And that's how our passage starts out. That's how John starts this section, calling us beloved. And that should bring to your mind, uh, when you see that word, the time at Jesus' baptism when God the Father called Jesus, my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased, right? And, and the good news is that he freely shares that same love with you, even though you don't deserve it, right? He calls you, by his grace, my beloved Son uh, in Christ, with whom I'm well pleased. Um, so if you hate your brother, you've forgotten about that. You've forgotten about the radiance of his love toward you, in particular. And if you hate your brother, you are uh, not seeing your brother in light of God's love. The gospel isn't illuminating the way that you see everything around you, the way that you handle all your relationships. The gospel is not um, illuminating or enlightening your view of your brother. Sure, in and of himself, that brother may be worthy of um, your hate. Right? In and of himself, the brother may not be worthy of love. That is true of all of us. But that brother is not m- merely in and of himself. You look around to the people you see sitting here, it's not just them sitting here in and of themselves. Your brother is in Christ. Right? Your brother is in Christ, and so the gospel will, will change the way that you view. The light of God's love Uh, which radiates into this world, will change the way that you view one another in the church. There's a bit of an extended quote uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I wanted to read from his book, Life Together. It's from the first chapter um, on community, and it's a great book, but uh, it's worth the price just for the first chapter. So if you don't have it, I uh, recommend Life Together by Bonhoeffer. But let me read a little bit here to explain a little bit what I mean. One is a brother to another only through Jesus Christ. I'm a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. The other person has become a brother to me through what Jesus Christ did for him. The fact that we are brethren only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance. Not only the other person who is earnest and devout, who comes to me seeking brotherhood, must I deal with in fellowship, My brother is rather that other person who has been redeemed by Christ, delivered from his sin, and called to faith and eternal life. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety, constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. So that's what it means to see your brother as illuminated by the light of the gospel. That whatever's true of Jesus Christ is true of your brother and your sister in your church. You see them in a different light. So the test that John is setting forth for us here is in order to verify your claim that you really do know God is to see whether you know the true light's radiance, whether you've experienced the love of God for yourself and accepted that and let it cleanse you from your sins, 
experienced his grace radiating towards you. And the true light's illumination in a way that causes you to reflect the true light, right? The illumination, the way that it changes your vision of the world, especially uh, your vision of your brother in the church, in a way that enables you to reflect Christ's own love, that love that goes out whether someone is deserving of it or not, right? Um, the, that's the, tr the true uh, test of real spiritual relationship with God that he's giving us in this passage. It's the test to, of love to one, uh, one another, to one's brothers and sisters in Christ, love for the church, love for other Christians as Jesus loved us. And just like hate is not restricted to hateful actions, but has to do with the heart, has to do with affections of the heart. Uh, so also love doesn't just mean doing good things for your brother. Right? True love has to include affections and motives and what you want for them, that you want the best for them. Right? Um, and left to ourselves, that's impossible for any of us to manufacture. You can't make your heart change in that kind of a way to love the way Jesus loves. Right? Um, but the gospel says <clears throat> that this commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us is true, is real in him and in you because the true light's already shining. Right? It's true, it's real in Jesus Christ and in you. Jesus has brought this commandment to life to love one another. He's brought it to life in all of its full, vivid glory. And if you belong to him, if you're united to him by faith, and through his spirit, then he lives in you so that what's true of him is true of you. Right? And so his love really is your love. You can love with his love. His light is shining in you, and it may truly shine through you. His love is yours, so you can love as he loved. And Karl Barth said, as truly as God loves us, we may love. It is quite incomprehensible, but we may do it. There, let us therefore do it. We may do it. It's quite incomprehensible, but we may do it. Uh, we may love each other as Christ has loved us, so let's do that. Right? Um, we can see Christ. We really can. It seems incomprehensible. This is not something that we just, a change that we make happen in ourselves, but only through our union with Christ, our abiding in the light. We can see Christ in our brothers and sisters, even if they don't show him much through their actions through their words. We can see Christ in each other. We can stop tearing each other down and start building one another up by speaking the truth in love. Uh, Scotty Smith, who's a pastor, um, <clears throat> planted a church in Tennessee. He says that a sign that you're growing in grace is that you're not as compelled to offer commentary and criticism about most people and topics. Right? You really can grow in grace in a way that makes you uh, speak well of one another and give each other the benefit of the doubt. Right? <clears throat> Philippians 2, uh, Paul writes that we can have the same mind. It's ours, which is in Christ Jesus, and we can look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Right? We can have the same mind of Christ. We have it among us. It's not something we stir up on our own to look out for each other's interests more than we do for our own but we have Christ's mind in us and among us. So we really can do that. We can go to each other in need of Christ's help, not just to offer help in Christ's name, 
but to ask for help in Christ's name. We can do that even when the world would tell us that, you know what, that brother doesn't really have much to offer you. The world might look at that person and say, they've got nothing to offer you. You're above that person in the social categories or whatever, financial categories. What, are you going to go to that poor person for help in some way, in some Christian way? You can do that. That person can help you, and you can go to each other in need of Christ's help, and we can give help, right? Uh, for example, we've got almsgiving today during communion. We can give our money. We can take a hit to our standard of living. Uh, we can give of our resources and give away our possessions to each other in order to help each other because we love each other because we've been changed by the light of God's love. We can show deep respect. We really can show deep respect to those who are in the church that we would just normally ignore, right? You can show deep respect to people like little children who can't engage in adult conversation yet. You can show deep respect to people with whom you've got very little in common or people that you suspect are just a little bit wild, untamed, right? You can show deep respect to each other because we don't just see them in and of themselves. We don't just see them when we look at them. We see Christ because the light of the world has illuminated the way that we look at the world in our, uh, our relationships. So for Christ's sake, we can give ourselves, we can reflect his light by giving ourselves to each other to the extreme end, to the extreme end, like Jesus gave himself for us to the extreme end. So true enlightenment is seeing the world in light of the gospel, and it results in our Christ-like love for one another. So I'll close with a <clears throat> passage from Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus, who himself is the light of the world, says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all in the house, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that from before the creation of the world, you set your love on us and that at a certain point in time, your love and the light of your love came radiating and shining into the world in the person of Jesus, your son, and that uh, after he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, you and he poured out your spirit. The spirit of love has been poured into our hearts. And so we thank you that your love has radiated and shined upon us so consistently and so thoroughly that we can look around uh, this whole world and see it as new because of your love and in light of your love, and we can see each other in light of your love in a way that helps us to reflect your love to each other. And so we, uh, <clears throat> we pray that what might make sense in our minds now would find a foothold, find a grasp in our hearts, that it would take hold of our hearts that uh, this truth would move down from our minds into our hearts so that we would truly love one another as Jesus has loved us, not only in actions, um, not only in our words, but from our very hearts because of the light of the gospel. Uh, we thank you for this, and we ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.